0: It is the Valley James Show in progress. Hello to Akron that joins us this hour on WHLO. Good to have you and everybody else listening. If you're just tuning in, we have the mother load of conspiracy theories. And it's particularly apropos tonight because we're all looking at the Senate and saying, what the hell are you people doing and why? And uh, when you start to look at it historically, uh, it all comes together. The Grand Unified Conspiracy Theory, we like to call it Conspiracy Theory, cuttingthroughthematrix.com is a website you can check out. The author of the Cutting Through series is Alan Watts, who's been joining me. And uh, we're, uh, we went back to the 1500s at the uh, beginning of last hour, and you'll catch up. But uh, Alan, as you were uh, saying, uh, World War One comes, uh, of course, the League of Nations, and, and the U.S. doesn't get involved. Right there, we had to have World War 2 didn't we?
1: Yeah, they wrote about the fact they would need a World War Uh, Prior to World War, H.G. Wells, again, who was a spokesman for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, wrote books on it saying we need a world war uh, to to get the people to their knees so that they'll accept a world government. Uh And then um, the U.S. came in at the end, so they were brought into it. And then the U.S. were given the job of trying to get the League of Nations uh, on the go. They funded it, really. Right. And uh, it didn't fly too well back home, sort of giving up your sovereignty. Right. And so they went back to the drawing board. Then H.G. Wells wrote another book to do a non-fiction, again, to do with world government. And he said, well, the public haven't given up their sovereignty. They haven't suffered enough. We must have a second world war. And he, again, remember, he was a member, a founding member of the Fabian Society, which is part of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They own all sides, you see.
2: Oh, of course. Now, what, of
0: course, is interesting is between World War I and World War II, we had a fascinating depression, which really mm-hmm. changed the, the timber of the average American's thinking. It's the first time uh, uh, communal government or socialism became an accepted mm-hmm. practice. Yep. And so I think it sort of paved the way for this kind of a feeling.
1: It was fascinating really to see uh, how the US and Canada and Britain and Australia were funding the poor downtrodden supposedly who'd suffered through the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia to make them a socialist uh, Soviet country. And and then at the same time, as you say, during the 1920s, uh, with this amazing depression that went on across the, the world, uh, they introduced the very thing, uh, socialism, uh-huh. and, and government uh, takeovers, really, of agriculture and so much, which they've never given up since. And also the work camps that they set up for the young men in the US, uh, they had the the, the the work camps where they were sent into the country, uh-huh. they were given military uniforms, which is quite interesting, getting trained almost to, to be in uniform for the coming World War II.
0: Right. Right, and then the other thing that happened prior to World War I was, of course, the formation of the Federal Reserve. In this case, yes. it's neither Federal nor Reserve.
1: Yes, and, and that itself is so incredibly fascinating, really, because only a few years prior to that, uh, we know that uh, Colonel Mandel House was the main reader, uh, leader behind Wilson, and he pushed forward this whole motion for a a federal reserve system, a centralized bank. Uh-huh. And uh, Mandelhaus, uh, uh, he wrote so much about this uh, openly, about uh, uh, how the banking system had to be centralized, and you had to get a centralized government in place uh-huh. to be the rest of the world. And um, I've even got his, his, his old biography. It's, it's just fascinating. People should try and get a hold of it. but. Um, the League of Nations in Aramaic and Hebrew is, is LON, L O N, League mm-hmm. of Nations. And that means lion, you see, it's a Masonic term. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that decree, uh, the United Nations, UN is UN um, for one in French, mm-hmm. as the one. So we watched this amazing stuff getting put up in front of her faces and it goes over people's heads They don't really uh, realize that this is a, an occult movement uh, working behind the scenes. Even though Thomas Jefferson himself in his own memoirs states quite openly, he said when, when the people see uh, a continuing agenda through different uh, and changes in government then they know in reality they're being run by a secret tyranny.
0: You know, what's fascinating about that is then you get into things like the Prussian education system, which is designed so that individuals will be dumbed down to the point that they'll be good worker bees and see nothing.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: And that's what we're seeing now with the dumbing down of education in North America.
1: Yes. And in, in the Fabian Society and the Royal Institute of International Affairs and all of the writers they have out there and Albert Pike's uh, Morals and Dogma on Freemasonry and, free and, and, and the, um, the Protocols of, of uh, uh, Weishaupt, Adam Weishaupt, Illuminati of Bavaria, it's the same agenda. Uh, they say that be, there will be no uh, individuality in the New World Order for the people at the bottom the masses of people. Individualism was their enemy. They had to destroy it. And ultimately they had to destroy the family. Each one, they're all, um, Albert Pike and Weishaupt said the same thing, and uh, the famine Society, the family unit had to be destroyed. And then there is no one to turn to for an individual but to the state, as its God. And you
0: see that time and time again whether it's uh... you know in a communist country or whether it's the fascism of germany or whether it's it's today all the it's for the children regulation mm-hmm. and you know hillary clinton's uh... you know global village and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff yeah. uh... it's uh... it's around us everywhere we look and it's uh... as obvious as can be but what uh... you know i guess those who are in the know have been very adept at doing is making those of us who might bring this up out to be the lunatic
1: fringe well they put the term out you see in fact uh, uh, they put out front men Uh, who have massive funding to create sites really of of conspiracy theory Uh and uh, I was on one show not so long ago Uh, Zachariah Sitchin was on two days after me he started this whole reptile thing Uh um, that's got uh, and then David Icke followed him from the same uh, English source and um, yeah, and so and after after Sitchin was coming a guy, I kid you not, uh, who was selling helmets that were guaranteed to stop you from being abducted by aliens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah with an early warning spike
1: no doubt uh, well I don't know if anyone's ever claimed their insurance policy or the, or the guarantee on that one
2: Right, right, yes. but
1: that's what they do they're creating a circus so that those who, who, have, who know the truth they have the facts to, build, to, to, to back it up <laughs> uh, are mixed into this circus you see
2: yeah. until
1: you're just you know part of this laughing stock Right. and, right. and they, they keep pushing the word conspiracy theory and I'm saying hey here's the facts put out by the big boys themselves here's the books that they wrote themselves a good example of this is Zygmunt Brzezinski
2: mm-hmm.
1: now this man was, was with Secretary of State for war at one point he's been advisor to umpteen presidents including the present one uh, he was the first one to, to shout that we had to go to war with Afghanistan and then Iraq right after 9-11 the same day and Brzezinski is a member of the trilateral commission and the CFR and and uh Brzezinski put a book out in the 1990s called um, Between Two Ages. Sorry, that was the 1970s. And he said in in that book that, um, again, he went through the America scenario where the borders come down, yada yada, and the chaos there would be. But he also goes into the control of the people's minds through highly advanced sciences, which the public knew nothing about. And And he called this chapter the Technotronic Era. Mm-hmm. He said that, that um, electromagnetic pulsations can affect the thoughts and moods of individuals on a, on, around the world.
2: Right, and now we
0: have the Harp program.
1: And he said, and then, then coupled that with the aerial spraying containing aluminum oxides, etc., you, you make a highly, highly charged atmosphere. The public breathe it in. It's in their food. It's in their water. Mm-hmm. They become almost walking antennas. Mm-hmm. And so this this is all being used. Uh, Lord Bertrand Russell, in his book *The Impact of Science on Society*, says the same thing.
0: Yeah, of course we see the chemtrails and and all that stuff today. So and we wonder, well, what's that about? And it it does. It does tie it together. The other thing is we we're mentioning Cecil Rhodes and Oxford, and mm-hmm. they're saying, well, of course, here comes Bill Clinton from out of nowhere,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and look at his pedigree, even though he's an Arkansas boy. Mm-hmm. And it seems that you really can't find anybody in high government service mm-hmm. who's not part of the quote unquote club. Now, mm-hmm. that said, here we have a, a Senate, obviously with a hundred members. How many of those hundred do you think know what the plan is?
1: I think once you get to a senatorial level they know as much as they need to know Uh, in other words they know that there's a plan to unify the Americas they know that there is to be central government in the congressional records of of the US and people should check this up is a letter from Karl Marx to President Lincoln congratulating him and stopping the country from breaking up Mm -hmm. because it was essential for communism to first a strong and powerful centralized government. central guy
0: government. Yeah, Yeah. see, that, that's the thing that I always talk about. And here again, uh, they have morphed the whole Civil War into an issue of slavery that here again on the emotions, I think all of us find abhorrent. Sorcery yes. Is unacceptable. There's not not even another way to say that. Mm-hmm. But that said, uh, the, the Civil War itself, while they're talking about slavery, wasn't about slavery. It was about whether we were going to have states' rights or a centralized government. That's right. And that was really, I think, the first major linchpin leading to where we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about World War I and the League of Nations. Well, it's also interesting to Israeli and all that kind of stuff who came up with the idea of a homeland for the Jewish people mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, Arab lands. Mm-hmm. Now I have no problem with the Jewish people having a homeland. That that's not the issue. The issue is that when you create that homeland out of other people's lands mm-hmm. without their approval, you're setting yourself up for strife.
1: Yes, this this was definitely the plan it was a Balfour declaration which was really a private letter to Lord Rothschilds, uh, giving him permission to go ahead with because the Rothschild family had been actually setting up this homeland for the Jews in the, from 1840 onwards. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Lord Rothschild, with some of the, the Jewish farmers came over to London to ask about making changes to the land, etc. He did state uh, quite openly to them, and it's recorded in the books, uh, It says, you'll do nothing unless you're told. He says, that's my country, and don't you forget it.
0: Yeah, and this is again, you know, on the one hand you say, ah, well they're looking for a homeland for the Jewish people, and in another way they're looking at setting them up as sitting ducks in an area yeah. where everybody around them will resent them because of the way the country was created. Exactly. And that's where we are right now. I know mm-hmm. yesterday in their elections, one of the guys had said, "Well, World War Three is about to be upon us," mm-hmm. and uh, they they may not be wrong. What's the what's the plan in the Middle East?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt, uh, Winston Churchill. And the, the, after World War I, uh, was one of the guys, amongst with Allenby and a few other ones, uh, who set up, who, who they drew lines across the sand and said, well, you're now Kuwait and you're now Iraq, etc. And they drew the lines up there, and yet a few years after they'd done that, Churchill said, you wait and see, in his own memoirs, you wait and see, he said, because this country, Iraq, at the northern end, has the world's largest untapped reserve of oil. It says, one day it will be ours. So these guys tell you in their own books what they plan to do. And, right. You, and you're right. So they had to get uh, an ally over there, what appeared to be an ally to stir up the mayhem to give uh, the reasons for this Third World War. Albert Pike himself, an amazing man, Albert Pike, he wrote to Lord Rothschild. The letter was in the British Museum going through the Three World Wars. And this was written in the late 1800s. And he said that the Second World War will be fought with Germany. He knew knew that. He says that the Third World War will be fought in the Middle East and will be fought between Zion and and Islam. And he said by the end of it, the world will be so sick of war and religion, he said, that we can step in and and bring forth our new agenda where the world will be based on reason and, and those who are fit to rule will rule. So this was all out in the open, you see.
0: Which is fascinating because it, it makes both uh, both the Jewish homeland and the Islamic nations as pawns mm-hmm. in the game. They're, uh, they're they're setting that up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting to think that the world will see that as a reason to want to be freed from religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, do does anybody have any idea of dates on that?
1: Well, it's um, so fascinating. Because, once again, we go back to H.G. Wells. Now, H.G. Wells, being the propagandist for the British government, coined the term for the First World War, the war to end all wars. Right. That's how they conned the men to go off and fight. And, um, but he never stopped there, of course. In his book, which was written under a sort of um, futuristic story, and he had a whole staff of writers. These guys, it's like the modern ones, the Ikeys and so on. They have staffs of people working for them. Uh, So H.E. Wells came out with Shape of Things to Come, where he goes through the scenario of three world wars. The last one, he said, will be fought in a place, beginning in a place called Basra. Now, that's exactly where the British troops were sent into Iraq, Mm It was in Basra. Mm -hmm. And then he he said, he said, Lenin said, uh, Lord Bertrand Russell said, that by the end of the millennium, everything will be in place for the beginning of the war around the start of the millennium.
0: So that's now.
1: That's now. So they knew when to bring it on, and um, it would last up to um, up to say 2010 or so. But maybe may continue beyond that if the public are still not sick of uh, and tired of the war. So this, this war is to affect the whole world in every way possible to bring in a new system.
0: Right, right, to, to get people to roll over on their current beliefs.
1: Yes. Uh, Which, I mean, Al, Albert Pike, too, I, I'd like to mention this because it's important. Um, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry wasn't Scottish. It, it was a branch of the, the the Grand Orient Lodge of France, and, uh, Albert Pike was the head of it. And, um, he in turn, uh, in his own books he talks about it he, he gave uh, the power as he retired to his student who was uh, Giuseppe Mazzini it's just an Italian name for Mason and uh, he went over to, to Europe stirred up the Revolutionary Party which was again part of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry and the man who took over from him for the World Revolutionary Party was Lenin this is all high Masonic all revolutions high masonic revolutions
0: and of course again it's fascinating that uh, a guy like lenin on the on the surface is saying you know workers of the world unite etc and so forth that uh, mm-hmm. you know like like marx and engels mm-hmm. that they're talking about the good of the common man yet you look at their deeds rather than their words mm-hmm. and it follows in line of enslavement of the masses um,
1: yes well, what it's, what lenin said was there are three versions given out to the public He said, for for the masses whose help we shall need for the revolution, they will be told that that they will be given a utopia, worker's paradise. He says, for the middle helpers, the Politburo, etc., he says, they will be more in keeping with the control over the masses, whereas he says, the true intelligentsia elite of communism will know the true, they will be the only ones who will know the true agenda.
0: Yeah, just real comforting. Alan Watt is our guest. You need to check out the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. We're talking about the Grand Unified Conspiracy Theory, to say the least. Uh, He's the author of the Cutting Through series. And it does give you a lot of pause when you start to wonder exactly why is the stuff that's going on like the decisions the Senate is making why is that the case and more to the point and before the uh, night is over we will absolutely get into is there anything we can do about it
2: No, oh boy it's the Raleigh James Show weird, wonderful and worth it that's what it says the raleigh james show
0: it is the raleigh james show and in the background Spanish for bad may be appropriate given the, the times and the subject and we've got somebody good though Alan Watt he is the author of the cutting through series and you can check out his website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com talking about the grand unified conspiracy theory going back to the 1500s in England and written about over the centuries and coming home to rest right now. And, you know, we're seeing the, the things come into play that have been talked about since the 1800s, at least, in writing. And, of course, I'm sure they would have loved to have pull, pulled it off with the Great War, and when that failed World War II, I assume they didn't want to have to go to World War III. How sure are they that they'll pull this off now?
1: I, I think they're pretty confident that they can make us so sick of it, uh, even observing it. The sick and just tired and hearing of the killings and so on, Uh, and all the money that's allocated towards it, uh, and the chaos it's causing abroad. They're pretty confident they can pull it off. They they have many, many uh, think tanks that work on this full time. Uh, different specialized areas, uh, very Machiavellian in a sense, uh, using the ancient techniques of knowledge and art from archives, which the public never have access to. It's all formulas, really, uh, on a study of human behavior over, over thousands of years, which these particular guys are taught. And uh, formulas are very simple to, to, to introduce um, it, it's mathematical in a sense. If we do this, the public will do that. And then we shall suggest this, the public will then suggest that, and then we, we go this way. It's all formulas which have worked over th- hundreds and hundreds and actually thousands of years.
0: Yeah, and always will because the human condition, the human emotion literally doesn't change. And you see that when you're looking at uh, at, at literature over the years, uh, what, uh, what captured people's emotion a thousand years ago, what captures it now. That's uh, pretty static. And of course, today we see it in action where the government is very good at creating a scenario that will cause people to have a certain level of fear and as a result demand government protection or more control. Mm-hmm. You'd think that they demand the government get the hell out of the way, but mm-hmm. that's rarely the case. It's more in terms of, well, what can you do for me now?
1: Yes. Yes, that's that's why they, they've been building up an internal army of police over many years now, mainly recruited from the military. I think that there's a, a, a statistic went out not so long ago where 95% of all police recruits are coming in from uh, the military today. And those guys have been trained abroad to go around kicking doors in and pulling people out and so on. And now your friendly cops in your neighborhood with their two uniforms, the one that they, they have for giving out speeding tickets and the other one with the jack jackboots and their machine gun.
0: But the for, secret police, as, mm-hmm. as specified in the Patriot I mean, we now have it where it's not only an executive order or a FEMA deal, it's in legislation yeah. that our, our lawmakers pass. Now, uh, almost a year ago now, we had Katrina. And uh, I think many of us thought that this was a test case. We're not 100% sure what it was a test case for, but what's your take on that?
1: Well, I know that there were people in the National Guards in different states uh, who told me beforehand that they are all being called up to go down to New Orleans. And, and of course, we watched this uh, scenario come in. We know it was either an accident waiting to happen, uh, according to this. However... Um, the hurricane I, i've got a lot of people in louisiana who who contact me, and the hurricane basically was on the way out when when those uh, walls blew right. and on the On the Canadian news here uh, the chief engineer of the Army engineering Corps who went in to examine the breaches. Showed on camera, he said, Look at the size of these breaches. He says, These were blown by high explosive. Right. He said, I've been in this for, for 20 years. He says, I know my, my business. He says, These were, look at the, the edges were almost petrified with the high heat. He said, These were blown.
0: Now, given that, what on earth, because, of course, we saw firsthand that local, federal, and uh, and state do not talk to each other. We know that for sure. Mm -hmm. And to a degree, there are people who are demanding the feds come in immediately, which was chilling to me. Mm -hmm. There goes more states' rights. But was that the object lesson here, that next time the feds come walking in minute one?
1: I think so. The the communications were were cut off over the entire state initially. And that was by FEMA. They've used the same techniques when they went over to Bosnia. They used aircraft to do it there. They just simply took over the radio and television stations and broadcast their own uh, programming in. Um, But they do cut all communications because they will not allow anyone else in there to, to help out. Uh, the, the Louisiana uh, emergency squads have been trained for years for this emergency where h- school buses from all over the state were to come in they did come in on queue and FEMA was turning them back uh, empty they were not allowing them in Even though two years prior to that, they'd had a a practice run with uh, the the same thousands of trucks coming in and school buses. They could have taken lots of people out of there, but that wasn't the plan. It was to make um, the whole world look upon this and see, my God, there's nothing anyone's allowed to do to help themselves, to to do what they're told. Uh, The military were brought in big time for the first time uh, on U.S. soil. They were going through the streets, they were brought in from abroad, and they were going through with their rifles as they go any through any street in the Middle East. And um, and they were confiscating the firearms as well. That's a what comes across from all the people who follow me in Louisiana. They were going door to door, just like they'd done over in the Middle East. And that's a standard UN strategy. Uh, so they were training the public there to accept it. It's now a, a precedent, you see. They've set well, what precedent.
0: Two is that uh, it's just recent that New Orleans has admitted that they did a gun grab.
1: Yes. Well, up, up here in Canada, they assured it happening.
0: Right. And here they were denying it all along. Uh huh. Uh, the, the other thing, by the way, when we, when we look at... We don't get much Canada news, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And the entire horrendous blood scandal that you know so well yeah. is virtually unknown to Americans, and mm-hmm. that goes right back to Clinton when he was governor of Arkansas. And yeah. we, we literally sold AIDS-tainted blood to you guys.
1: It's is quite a fascinating story because um, Canada... Led the lead, it was, it was the world leader for bacterial and viral warfare research during and after World War II and one of the companies they set up for that was Connaught Laboratories in, in Toronto mm-hmm. and it was Connaught Laboratories that were buying the blood for Canada
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, yes, the tainted blood was just amazing stories really where the prisoners were allowed to to go in and stick these things in the veins themselves.
0: The American prisoners.
1: That's right. And and they were selling the blood to get a few bucks for it. And uh, those with AIDS, etc., weren't even checked, you know... um, other ones who were authorized to have blood with taken were just sticking them in their friends' arms right. to get more dollars. They knew it was tainted. Barbara Bush was the head of the, the the um Red Cross at the time, overseeing all of this. They brought it into Canada uh it was the doll. Yeah. Oh,
0: not Barbara Bush. Why did Elizabeth Dole head of
1: the Red Cross? Um, Dole was as well, and then I think it was Barbara came in after her. Was oh,
0: she really? Okay.
1: And then, um, I didn't
2: know that. Yeah,
1: and uh, so anyway, this stuff came up to Canada at Connaught Laboratories. This main, <laughs> main purpose was bacterial and viral warfare. Uh, Processed the blood. The hemophiliacs all over Canada came down with uh, the hepatitis and other diseases. And the government, of course, took about 10 years to get into action over this whole thing, waiting for all of them to die off. That's what they generally do. They wait for you to die off. Right. And if there's any one or two left, you might get a few pennies. But uh, this was known. It was known when it was happening. Uh, the CBC did a documentary on it they interviewed the man from Canuck Laboratories who was going up the steps and, and when he was hit with this this, why are you selling this, this lethal blood to the Canadians he says well it's cheap and business is business
0: did he really?
1: yeah he did mm-hmm.
0: oh man is this guy in jail today? there
1: was some recent uh, blurb I saw on him but I don't think he's in jail yet he
0: but should it, be
1: that's what he said. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, okay, if if it comes to pass that our borders are eliminated by 2010, U.S., Mexico, U.S., Canada, mm-hmm. what do we look like? Who is our leader? Is it you know? Do we have one president for all three countries?
1: No, under the plan they made, um, this plan, as I say, was first mentioned by Karl Marx in the 1840s, right. and in, in Das Kapital, you'll see it written out there where he said the the unified Americas will ultimately have a singular government in charge. Ultimately, there will be a process towards it. Uh, Now, that ties in with the free trade agreement, because at that time they agreed that the new capital for the Americas was to be put in Quebec, Canada. And the reason for for picking Quebec was it's kind of like a a sort of not quite independent but a semi sovereign state within Canada.
2: Well, yeah. And it speaks English. Uh, yeah, and
1: but it's an international center, and uh, and they have the same kind of banking rules as Brussels does for the European Union. So the banks get a lot of tax free goodies and so on uh, as they do the world's business. You see. So
0: are you telling me that the capital of the Americas is going to be Quebec?
1: Yeah. It was it be in Montreal, yeah. When? Um, they didn't specify it in the free trade agreement when it would be, but that that, that was definitely the, the the place that they settled upon. Yeah.
0: Do you think that will be shortly after 2010, or do you see this like 50 years down the road?
1: I think they could bring it on sooner if they give us enough chaos and worry. Uh, maybe even releasing their diseases or whatever they're planning to do they could certainly have us in such a a craze of frenzy economically too that uh, we'll be willing to accept anything they've done this in the past uh, with other nations done through the centuries. It's
0: fascinating that you're talking about a, uh, you know, basically a a tri-region, North America, Central America, South America, where the preponderances of of that region is going to be Spanish-speaking, one Portuguese country, and then Mm English-speaking, and a very minor faction that is French-speaking, French-Canadian, actually, Mm -hmm. which is really the province of uh, Quebec. Other than that... Uh, it's it's fascinating that the capital will be almost isolated from the overwhelming majority of the populace, language-wise. Yes. And that's got to be by intent.
1: It is, too, because the main uh, language in Brussels is French as well. Well, that, sure. That handles the European Union, yeah.
0: And Montreal is fascinating, too, because, you know, I used to go there in the 60s, and it was, I'd say if not 50-50, even greater English mm-hmm. than, uh, than French. Yeah. And we were there just, you know, I used to love to go to CKGM and all that kind of stuff and have fun. And, and everybody was speaking English. Now, mm-hmm. it's like the English people are almost like this little Balkanized zip code, if you will, mm-hmm. and everything else has become French. And I thought to myself, how did that happen so quickly?
1: Yeah, it happened because of, of a, one man, uh, Pierre Trudeau, who was the Prime Minister of Canada, this man, in, 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 this is amazing, I found this out from, from uh, uh, intelligence agencies in Australia, where it was published in school books, <laughs> but, but Pierre Trudeau in 1952, this guy from a very, very wealthy family, mm-hmm. um, he was the head of the of the Comintern Party, the International Communist Party for Canada. He led the delegation to Moscow in 1952. Uh, Years later, he runs for the Liberal Party. None of the media mentions what they knew about his past at all. That tells you the media is an essential part of government. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, he ran under the the Liberal tickets. Uh, He had the biggest build-up as the young, youthful Bill Clinton type. He, He saw him skipping and dancing and being very modern. And he got in, and and he basically uh, started this push towards uh, bilingualism Canada-wide. And then then they created the Bloc Québécois. Uh, The guy who created the Bloc Québécois for for, for Free France was uh, 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 Pierre Trudeau's best buddy. (laughs) Uh, Pierre Trudeau also was a Rhodes Scholar, by the way. Figures. And he also was a Rhodes Scholar with Fidel Castro his other best buddy. Right. And, and, um, and so he got the ball rolling for, for, for starting the dissensions between English and French Canada. And once he came out, Brian Mulroney of the Conservatives eventually got in, of supposed Conservatives. And, and uh, his right-hand man for the, for the Canadian Conservative supposedly right-wing party split off and became the leader of the opposition, the Bloc Québécois. Uh-huh. and so they kept it going kept it going and and that's why the english were driven out of of quebec
0: and 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 they were and of course that creates again uh, you know whenever you balkanize a country li- linguistically that creates you know warring factions mm. and, and the need again for this common government. But yes. Uh, mm. You know to drive through Edmonton and have to see all the signs in French too is you know yeah. a bit of overkill to say the least. It is. Uh, but but I can see the intent. Now you were you were saying that uh, the World War Three, which I guess we're really on the precipice of right now uh-huh. uh, with what's going on and uh, you know. As this starts to become more of a problem, and, and you know the the design is to get people to be sick of religion. Period. Mm-hmm. So there, by the way, yes, you are. Okay, I thought we lost you for a minute. Uh, but to be so sick of religion that they'll embrace this uh, quote unquote new world order. Mm-hmm. What are they embracing? Tell me what that's like.
1: It's in the the, the manifesto of, of the Communist Party. It's in the manifesto. Of uh, Albert Pike, Scottish writer of uh manifesto. It's in the the same manifesto as the Illuminati. Uh, Adam Weishaupt, um, who took refuge after he was chased out of Bavaria with the Sax Gothas in Germany, who happened to be the ones who are now in power in Britain. Uh, Sax Coburg Gotha is the royal family's real name. Um, and so they all said the same thing, that there would be no private property in the coming new world order. Uh, there will be no private ownership of vehicles in, in the coming new world order. Um, everyone will be born to serve the state. That will be their duty. Uh, this was elaborated on by Lord Bertrand Russell in the impact of science on society, uh, uh, the road to freedom, he called it, it was his other book, uh, with a whole hundred years written in the early 1900s, the whole hundred years pointed out where he said, ultimately, a new financial system will come into play where every citizen on the lower orders will be given a quota of credits at the beginning of each week by the government it will be deposited in their bank. They said they they will not be able to save them up, and they'll have to be used by the end of the week. In the beginning of the week, you have the exact same sum to start over again with. Those who refuse cause any social problems or or problems towards the establishment they will have their credits withheld, so they cannot pay rent because there will only be rental accommodation eventually. They will not be allowed to buy their food, and so on. So it will be used as a form of social control.
0: Well, it's very interesting you're saying that, because on the one hand, uh, I'm thinking, you know, people are never going to cotton to this. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what you're describing is basically the current welfare rules. So it's fascinating that on some level we are there. Alan Watt is my guest. I think he's just tremendous. You can go to his website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. He's the author of the Cutting Through series. And uh, as you start to really listen to some of this stuff, it starts to make sense in terms of how the hell could the Senate be doing what they're doing? Or You know, we were talking about eminent domain. Well, if there's no private property, what a better way to get to it than eminent domain? And it starts to fit together. It still might sound far-fetched, but at what point does it, uh, does it become a reality? And do we notice, or are we still uh, looking for Natalie Holloway?
2: Oh, boy. It's the Raleigh James Show.
0: And we will continue this for another big hour, and I'm looking forward to that. We'll find out if there's anything you can do. We'll also... Uh, hey, by the way, uh, when I'm thinking about it more and more uh, in terms of the new financial reality, think about welfare. The minute you amassed, than two thousand dollars you're out of the program you're given about 600 bucks a month you better spend it because that 2000 can come pretty soon couldn't it and then we get into what i always refer to as uh, uh the anesthesia for the masses readily available credit is there anything that placates individuals who don't really have money faster than easy credit Yeah, and wouldn't it be easy to control and manipulate the system to the point that one day it's just not there? All right, we'll be talking with Alan Watt next hour about all that and more coming up on The Raleigh James Show.
2: The Raleigh James Show.